Hi guys. I'm Rafia. And I'm Soham. We are technologists by profession. And also chatty catties, passionate to talk about anything under the sun. Today we're doing the first episode of our podcast series, Just Pondering. And we're here to talk about the Industrial Revolution. Let me give you a quick background about Industrial Revolution. It started from the 1760 and lasted until 1870, which is a major chunk of the 18th and the 19th centuries. Well, there was a massive shift from hand-produced goods to machine-oriented, steam-powered factories. There was a rise of the factory system. Industrial Revolution started in England, and then it moved to France, Germany, Netherlands, Austria, Hungary, and other countries in the Europe. In Asia, Japan was the first one to undergo Industrial Revolution. Until then, the major source of livelihood had been farming. About 80 to 90% of the population, were 80 to 90% of the population was dependent on farming. And they happened to live closer to food sources. And then industrial revolution happened and it changed the game forever. Right. So let me just declutter what Rafia just said. Let me just put all that technical and slightly academic garble, no offense, Rafia, in something a little bit more tangible and a little bit more easily understandable for, you know, basically. Simpletons like me. So think of today and think of Rolls Royce, think of Bentley, think of Bugatti. These are the very few automotive makers who still produce hand built cars. That is not on the manufacturing line, not on the assembly line, not mass produced, but hand built or coach built. That happens to be a vestige of what was before the industrial revolution came along i mean today they are priced exorbitantly high and there's a reason for that there's all that craftsmanship and all that glamour and all that prestige and history to that process but that's the entire point of it it's history before henry ford came along with his assembly line and Here's a fun fact for you. Just go and Google where he got the idea for the manufacturing assembly line. It's pretty interesting. Just Google it when you can. Yeah, so sounds before, like. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't know that as well, Rafia. So you might want to do that as well. So before Henry Ford came along with the assembly line, that was the norm. People built cars by hand. Every single thing was made by hand in a single item and hence was quite out of reach of the common population. What automation did was to bring all that into the slightly lower sections of the society and enable every single guy like me, like you, to be able to afford an automobile, to be able to afford a car. Now, that does seem like a big leap, but it's not a big leap compared to where it all started with steam-powered cars, with steam-powered automob automobiles. And that happened in the first industrial revolution. Another fun fact, 
the one of the very earliest models of the automobiles were of course steam powered and it happened to be a french scientist a french engineer actually scientist engineer he likes to call himself many things it turned out to be that guy who attached a small steam engine to a tricycle and when the prototype was ready as a testing run that guy ran that thing from his house to his mother's house out on the street the first try of the prototype and it was in the real world it was out there on the street safe to say people were going completely bonkers looking at something that was straight out of either the future or i don't know satanism so basically what conspired to bring about the birth of the automobile was connected and deep rooted in the industrial revolution and mainly to the invention of steam engines and going back slightly the usage of coal to generate steam that's a very interesting fact so hum in fact you would remind me of another point to do with steam engines uh, birmingham which is a place in england played a massive role in the industrial revolution in the sense that there was a factory called soho manufactory in england in birmingham in particular where uh, two people J- james watt and matthew bolton got together and mass produced efficient steam engines and their steam engines powered the whole of 19th century so that was a turning point for the industrial revolution the production of steam engines right from the center of birmingham yes that's another interesting fact that i feel as indians we should be aware of uh, india indian history for that matter had a wonderful uh, very intriguing role to play in the industrial revolution and um, when it is gloomy for indians the, the indian history it changed it ended up changing the world it are you aware of it so how do you know how indian history is connected with the industrial revolution i know it just through a bullet point i would say with a title called battle of plassey that's true so there was a battle of plassey that happened between britain and india uh, back in 1757 and back then bengal used to be a very wealthy province and bengal comprised of what we now know jharkhand bangladesh and other states so it it used to be a wealthy a very wealthy province and britain competed against bengal and in this battle bengal faced defeat but there had been a lot of wealth accumulated by the state of bengal by the princely rulers and all this wealth got transferred to britain after the defeat in in the battle of plassey and because of all this wealth i mean some historians like um, r c dutt and brook adams consider this to be one of the factors that led to industrial revolution which is the inflow of so much wealth from bengal which is in india to britain it really moves me to think that <laughs> had the battle not happened uh the britishers would have not probably conquered india 
and eventually the industrial revolution our timeline would have shifted a lot and that's that's quite intriguing to think about <laughs> yeah so mujhe pata hai ki you know it wasn't just the inflow of wealth that was the contributing factor it was also british engineering that led to the industrial revolution but i can safely say i mean mera mere andar ka india yahan pe thoda sa jaag jayega and i will safely say india 1 britain 0 please continue absolutely but it is still intriguing to notice the role that indian history played in the industrial revolution and of course there was indian cotton there was a massive demand for cotton in britain and raw cotton was being exported from india to britain after the defeat of bengal in the battle of plassey and there was massive export of raw cotton in to britain because there was a massive demand for cotton in britain there was the cotton was considered to be the most fashionable and the most luxurious textile back then and it was competing against silk and wool so it was indian cotton that led to that made its way all the way to britain and the british government was investing heavily in cotton industries in mechanizing cotton industries because of the demand for cotton so in a way we can say that indian cotton was the gasoline to the industrial revolution which is blows my mind come to think of it it started from india i mean i like to think it started from india although uh, unfortunately it uh, the battle of plassey brought in gloom to the country and uh, nevertheless it ended up changing the world <laughs> yeah pretty much uh, i suppose two sides of a coin perhaps and it was just unfortunate that the bad side of the coin happened to be facing our way i guess right right because as industrial revolution happened in europe india happened to be deindustrialized with all this british influence yeah because of the conquer so uh, rafia i think it all boils down to why and where it all started why is probably a good question and i suppose it will have a lot of answers but i'm kind of curious about where it all started because i know for a fact that it mainly started in britain and i can't help but wonder why i actually have an answer to that so hum it started in britain and there are wonderful reasons to note which are also applicable quite applicable in today's era and good governance must make note first of all there was britain moved from conventional monarchy to parliamentary monarchy so everything came under rule of law and there was a lot of support from the political side for uh, scientists from for scientists and individuals willing to invent uh, also got financial help which is what we know now as entrepreneurship and there were multiple entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship was also being supported largely by the government back then which is what helped with the industrial revolution when come to think of it france was also in a position to start industrial revolution which was also twice the size of britain but it could not because everything was very centralized in france so it would not it wasn't it was a bureaucratic nightmare for france which is why france was held back 
and Britain was the one that took the lead and started the Industrial Revolution. So entrepreneurship definitely in place and political influence was also there, political support rather. And one interesting thing to note is that there was an exchange of ideas between people. There was, it's called the industrial enlightenment. Scientists from across the country and people, just individuals willing to go came together, they exchanged ideas. And this led to inventions being made and inventions being made possible. One such society was the Luna Society and was founded by Erasmus Darwin, the grandfather of Charles Darwin. He also designed wow. okay. the <laughs> he also designed the steam chariot. And a very fun fact to why the Luna Society was called the Luna Society. Uh, they met on a full moon night. But you know why they met on a full moon night? Would you like to take a guess, Soham? Um, they were all werewolves. <laughs> Maybe, but what I know, they met on a full moon light so that they could go back home on a by a by a street lit by moonlight. And then there were no street lamps. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I don't think I could have ever guessed that. I think I think the werewolf thing was my best guess. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I want to stick with the other fact that these people were really scientifically elite. <laughs> yeah, that 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 sounds plausible too. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Each one has the liberty to carry their reason, history, in its own version. Indeed. One other thing is I want to I want to mention now that this point has come up about uh, industrial enlightenment and exchange of ideas. It's happening even today. And we take it for granted. It's an understanding that we have of being connected with people across the globe and being in a position to share ideas, exchange facts, invent together. We take this for granted. But this is considered to be a primary boost to the industrial revolution. Yeah, I guess I guess we just, you know, probably would rather send each other memes than truly understand the privilege that is information exchange, I suppose. Right. Into a much more evolved human society. Yeah, but jokes aside, I think that really happens quite a lot as well, even today, and definitely did happen back then. And uh, I think history has time and again been quite sort of insistent on make, hammering this point home into our heads that somehow it's never done by a small group. Somehow it's never done by a one by a single person. It, it always comes about as a collection of ideas and something out of that collection, something out of all those permutations and combinations, one thing manages to work and that one thing gets carried forward and maybe the guy or guys who found out that one thing get all the glory and all the credit for it. But we, I think, I think we tend to ignore that there were a lot of things that led to that idea being born and there were a lot of things without which that idea couldn't even have dreamed of existing 
That is true philosophically, but execution requires a team. Yeah, so pardon me for not having those big words and big phrases. I'm just a I'm just a simple guy. I, 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 let, let's ju- let's just call you on the side of the podcast, me on the side of the audience. How about that? <laughs> no. <laughs> you have right, so, now what were the consequences of industrial revolution? Yes, I was just going what to get you that. Um, I I find something that is deep rooted today that that is extremely relevant today, and that is a bit of a problem. I would say uh, today is the population, and uh, like you said, about eighty to ninety percent of the people were uh, primarily employed in the agriculture business, and I wouldn't call it an agriculture business as such. There was probably no term as such uh, back then, but agriculture, and uh, based on this very singular and sort of a, a a very narrow field where one could work to try and survive and make his own offspring survive so that probably had a couple of things to do with population firstly population growth wasn't as drastic as like as ballooning as it is today and secondly was the life expectancy uh, so, so there is a fun fact that I just read about this: that the life expectancy went from being 35, mind you, 35. That's that's just unthinkable in today's terms. The life expectancy went from being 35 years to 71 years, approximately, over the course of 250 years. Basically, over the course of all the industrial revolutions that happened, and it was sparked off by the first industrial revolution where people basically came across a whole new genre of jobs i would say that they could do and hence lead a life disconnected from agriculture completely if they wish so can i say the productivity overall increased and just the fact that productivity mankind achieving great heights yeah i suppose that's that's how it happened basically yes i mean uh, maybe there was just more to do in life than agriculture and uh, you know there comes a saturation point for everything right you can't just keep working in a single field expecting the that one field to offer opportunity equal opportunity for every single person that just won't happen. So I suppose what the industrial revolution did was just created a lot of opportunities for a lot of people, and hence, uh, perhaps even to speak a little in the philosophical sense, gave them a new reason to live, if not a reason to live. So uh, as a result, population really ballooned. It, it didn't really get going quite until late but it uh, in the early 19th sorry in the late 19th and the early 20th century uh, we just rabbited so uh, i mean there was this statistic that within a hundred years i think in the 19th century within a hundred years great britain's population went from a hundred million to 400 million wow that's that's a 4x increase in one century 
and a lot of it can be attributed to what happened during that time which was mainly well you know the effects of industrial revolution so that 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 is something that we face today as in uh, we are in a country where almost all of our problems come to one single place and break down every single thing leads to one place population and it sort of sh- just shatters like steel dipped in liquid nitrogen so uh, i suppose that's where it all started another interesting fact that i came across was concerning i suppose it is sort of ironical in a way that it was because of the industrial revolution that we are here not only just connecting via uh, the internet and creating a podcast together but being able to talk to each other in a defined language using using a language that is not our own mother tongue and uh, holding a podcast over it that is literacy what the industrial revolution did was not only create unskilled or skilled labor jobs which it did it did on a large scale but as it progressed and as we got into a little bit more mechanized manufacturing processes there was a need for people to be able to handle all that technical information for them to be able to handle the education that took to uh, that 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 was required to look after these jobs basically any, anything more than just a guy hammering nails into a board uh, required you to have a little knowledge about what the machinery is what exactly is happening and uh, if you go a little beyond that people either working on or creating these machinery needed to have knowledge enough to understand engineering drawings and you know technical specifications and all that stuff so basically what the industrial revolution also prompted and which in all fairness wasn't exactly a requirement before uh, in the agricultural world was literacy so literacy rates uh, took a huge leap not just in britain but everywhere the industrial revolution touched basically uh, literacy rates took a took quite the jump and as a result of that basically they kept going to a point where literacy became uh, sort of the norm and uh, the results are something that we can see today that is so true so we we've been valuing literacy since then is it yeah definitely I mean, uh-huh. we we went past being literate to being educated. I think that's a quite a bit of a leap as well. I mean, it doesn't really happen unless the foundation literacy is enough saturated and enough, you know, sort of common uh, between uh, the population that we decide to go one step higher. That you are not just able to read; you are able to educate yourself and educate others as well. Right, an improved life. lifestyle that also included education was a very impactful consequence of the industrial revolution and i read a very interesting fact about birmingham which happened to be the center of industrial revolution that people demanded these tiny metal objects that have absolutely no value today i mean they don't make any sense today and these tiny objects 
metallic objects were being mass produced about thousands and thousands of these were being produced and pretty much everybody everybody carried them and the production of these objects was at the heart of the industrial revolution if i tell you what these objects were you'll find it very amusing one of the objects was a snuff box a snuff box is just a box that lets you carry things tiny things like maybe powder or mint very tiny boxes like those tic tac boxes that we have yes i was when you said small box carry around my just my mind just went to peppermints just like that <laughs> exactly and these people they carried these snuff boxes like they were some luxurious items that they owned which is very amusing and to make that snuff box creative they, what they added was a secret section so there was a secret drawer to the snuff box Ooh, i like that mints just for yourself you know when you when you whip out that mint ka box in your friends they just just run out and you are just left with a sad face ki yaar khona nahi chahiye tha but that is so cool a secret compartment so everyone will be like are tere ko bacha nahi and then you are like <laughs> don't worry I've got an ace of my sleeve. Exactly. That's luxury, isn't it? Definitely. Another very interesting metallic object that was mass produced and was super tiny was this little metal object, which is called the vinaigrette, and it had an opening from the front side, the face of the fish, and you would imagine why this was being used. and the purpose is so amusing and the fact that it and the fact that this particular thing is being mass produced is even more amusing um i think i can take a fair shot of that shot at that i think vinaigrette is a uh, is a couple of words pushed together vinegar and cigarette which i find extremely <laughs> weird i i i it doesn't make any sense to me why people back then i mean it's okay people back then weren't exactly similar to the people we have today but smoking vinegar i mean come on it just doesn't make sense it it i mean okay you you are smoking it through a fish but well no still no i i i have reason to believe that that was not what it was because it if if it was those people were really silly but so how had your guess been correct I would have considered you God for the rest of my life, but no. Hallelujah. Come close. <laughs> but yes, there is a tiny, tiny aspect. Both vinegar and cigarettes have bad odor, and vinaigrette was supposed to shove away bad odor in the sense that these objects were used when somebody you meet with does not smell good. <laughs> When they are not be looking at you, you just remove it from your pocket, open the front end, and smell the thing, which was a sponge in orange oil, and then just shove it back in. Savage to another level. This is this is more savage than gifting a person a do on their birthday. I know. Just keep it to yourself. It's like keep it to yourself. <laughs> I mean, I think I think the I think the most savage thing I I had ever seen was somebody carrying around mints just to hand it to people. That guy didn't like mints. He just carried around mints just because he was bothered by people's, you know, how people <laughs> smelled. If only the vinaigrette guy had met that person. <laughs> But it's really amusing that how. 
thousands of people were using this back then. It was mass produced. It happened to be the heart of industrial revolution. <laughs> Very fascinating. It is fun to note, Soham, that while we did have industrial revolution create a significant impact into the lives of human the and helping ev in evolution of human societies on a much more improved path. We also had these tiny mass produced vinaigrettes and snuff boxes running and these were called the Birmingham toys during the industrial revolution. Mapping it to where we are today, what do you consider to be the toys of the digital age? So while we do have internet having a significant impact on the lives of people through connected factories, internet of goods. What do you consider to be the toys of the digital age? Top of my head, social media. We got Instagram, we got WhatsApp. Um, but even more than that, I can go ahead and say something that is slightly bigger is probably YouTube. It's huge, but it's, I mean, it's still making an impact. It's still a bit of a toy. and. Uh, going ahead, I would say Netflix, perhaps Netflix, Prime Video, stuff like that. Right, I'm in complete agreement with that. So um, I think all of that can be summed up into the social media bucket. So today we consider social media to be the Birmingham toys or the toys of the world in this digital age. Right, I guess, I guess that's true. So uh, here's another fact that sort of ties into a different fact on its own and in a sort of a ironical way not exactly very pleasant um somebody said that the industrial revolution is the second best thing that happened in the history of mankind uh, since the domestication of animals so something that is compared to or that is only seconded to uh, something related to nature it's almost ironical uh, as in what exactly has been the impact of uh, the industrial revolutions all through uh, the first, second, third, and fourth phase uh, on the environment. I mean, it's something that we cannot exactly turn a blind eye to. Uh, I think we can all agree to that. And it's really been a hell of a ride. And uh, let's just get this sort of thing, uh, let's just get this clear to a point where our generation is receiving the biggest brunt of it because it we are at a point where it's all culminating into a drastic result. It's a drastic action that we are getting to see and we are trying to respond to it. We are trying to mitigate it, but it's not something that really came around five years ago. It, it didn't start 10 years ago. It didn't start when we were born. It, started well before our grandfathers were born probably it started all the way from the industrial age because basically what fueled uh, the industrial revolution was coal uh, everything that was supposed to be mechanized and automated was done through steam power which in turn up, right now we, we we have got a lot of you know options we have nuclear power and stuff like that but back then coal was the only thing and it wasn't exactly very discriminate uh, the amount of coal that was used back then so so it pretty much kick-started the deterioration of uh, the environment as we know it and uh, like i said before that it's we are the 90s kids are facing the brunt of that culmination 
so yeah that that's there's something that is not exactly the most pleasant slash funny part about the industrial revolution i also want to highlight here that when the industrial revolution kicked in there were a lot of revolting because they were afraid of a uh, lack of employment and fun fun to note that even today while we don't know exactly but there is a popular conception popular belief that ai or industry 4.0 will end up replacing a lot of jobs will also result in unemployment well that's a debate for another podcast altogether but it is yeah. interesting to draw this comparison with employment yeah but and there is i'll i'll go beyond uh, that employment point on you uh, rafia is that i read about something that has this extremely you know popular sort of ring something that we have probably all heard of somewhere but can't really place it or don't really know the details of basically so when you think of these names uh, tell me what you think of william wordsworth john keats Ernest Hemingway. These people were involved in something called the Romantic movement, uh-huh. Romanticism, and as romantic as it sounds, as poetic and as beautiful and as dipped in love and I don't know, like spread across the bread of joy, it sounds. romanticism was actually one of the most vehement protesters of the industrial revolution did you know that no i had no idea so basically romanticism wasn't exactly about employment or the environment or anything like that it was mainly about how through the industrial revolution man was going away from the environment he was venturing into something that was unnatural it it went against the being one with their environment and being one with the surroundings that you have and you know that was the sort of thing that these people were and let me put it like it wasn't exactly subtle it wasn't just an odd article published somewhere in some newspaper there were vehement protests by these people and like i said they were, these were well known i mean these weren't exactly an obscure part which probably will get forgotten anytime soon so i was i was really really interested to uh, find this on the internet because uh, like i said these these names like keats and wordsworth they don't really invoke uh, inkarab zindabad feeling in your head so i suppose True. that was that was quite interesting yeah absolutely i'm actually blown to that follow these people that follow their literature <laughs> we do have conservationists like them even today we'll find them we'll continue to find people of this sort even later and that is how there there's balance in society right yeah yeah we've come a long way i must say from the industrial revolution and now we are living in the information revolution stage and it has taken two and a half centuries to get here whatever comes next will certainly take a lot lesser time maybe our life expectancy will double to 140 years of age in a much shorter span maybe in the next 70 years <laughs> maybe i'll be the one who ends up living 140 years <laughs> <laughs> 
It's funny that you bring this up, uh, Rafia, because uh, I read something about this in a book uh, that I recently read by Yuval Noah Harari. And I won't go on a lot about this book. I'll just talk about, touch upon this one point that you said. The core of what he wanted to say in that book is in the title itself. Homo Deus would actually mean human God. And that's what the author uh, is driven to think that we will become. I mean, coming from a point where we were only sort of dependent on agriculture and we only started making steam engines, we moved on to internal combustion, we found mineral deposits, we found oil, we found gas, we created electricity, we went on to create all these wonderful things. We have come to a point where we might just break through the barriers that keep us mortal that keep us limited to being just another species on this planet earth and it it it, uh, it actually involves one of the part of it would be what you said uh, not just an increase in life expectancy but perhaps even immortality i mean uh, who who knows uh, what barriers we could break going ahead and just find that one gene that makes us age take that one bugger out and say, uh, you know what, dude, you're probably obsolete now. So bye bye, Gramps. And just, uh, <laughs> just just take the concept of aging away from humanity. And uh, perhaps that's one way to make us immortal. That's that's a very thoughtful uh, note. So um, and on that ponderous note, I think we are good to end the podcast now. Yes, that does seem like a good point. So, uh, I would say just let's just keep pondering for a while, shall we? Let, let's let's yes. see uh, what we can ponder about in our next episode. Till then, goodbye. And oh, in case I don't see ya, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.